This is GSAP Conversations from the Graduate School of Architecture, Planning and Preservation at Columbia University in New York City. I'm Dean Amal Andraus. Thanks for listening. Well, Marco, uh, welcome to GSAP and to the AAD program. Hi, Andres. Thank you. Thank you so much for the invitation to be in New York at Columbia. I would like you to explain in one or two sentences what you think is most important about your practice. The work we do is quite hybrid in the sense that it's bridging constantly between commission design work in the field of spatial designs, mostly dealing with exhibitions, and then more like, I would say, traditional design work dealing with editorial products and also digital platforms. Um, and then as a studio also we engage, uh, I would say, more autonomous projects uh, that are uh, heavily research-based uh, in which we, we try to you know, come up with a concept uh, and then we do, um, that we carry on uh, and we kind of investigate through archival research usually. And then we try to convert and translate into some, some sort of uh, spatial and graphic visualizations. I'm trained as an architect, so my education has been... Uh, uh, in architecture. I studied in Venice and then I moved to London to study at the Architectural Association, History and Theory. But I would say like I never really worked as a traditional architect, so I never really designed building. But I really, I really think that my education in architecture, the way in which architecture deals uh, with the understanding of the spatial environment has been always informing my practice quite heavily. I would like to ask you a very state question. The way you work with geography and with space, it's paying attention to the fact that it's constructed, constructed in the intersection of design, technology, politics. I would like to ask you precisely about this fundamental aspect of your work. What is the way that you would consider geography uh, as a category that somehow is not given, but is the result of many actions, combined actions? I love this idea that some other space is constructed. Uh, and the, the way in which the word constructions relate to architecture as a, as a sort of an eye, as, an, as, a, as a practice that really looks at the structure of things and the way in which things sustain each other and they unfold over time. So the fact that every kind of uh, complex dynamics or phenomenon that we study as a special uh, consequences, a certain way of uh, structuring space and thus structuring social relationships and the way in which populations live in this space, uh, I think is crucial to our research. In, in particular, like geography or like cartographic representations, uh, for us uh, is a peculiar key to understand uh, the way in which also historically the construction of space has been, uh, um, has been uh, carried on. Uh, because somehow looking at the way in which uh, space was represented, uh, we can uh, close a circle. We can uh, we somehow have an idea of how space is being measured in the first place and then thought about in, in order to be planned. So cartography has this really, really high potential of uh, being able to replicate the view of the world, but also at the same time determinate uh, a specific view upon the world that we are going to build. And also on the other side, I think uh, geography, I would say cartography and visualization in general, it's a super important place to look at if we want to understand the way in which the visual language through which we represent reality has been uh, structured over time. So the actual way in which uh, we evolved 
the language of representation through which we symbolize different aspects of reality tells a lot about the, the models, the mathematical models, the philo philosophical models uh, that somehow produ produced uh, that kind of uh, uh, thought and the kind of uh, political situation. So just by looking really, really at the science and uh, the graphic language, the visual language in which uh, we always synthesize reality into a form of uh, bidimensional representations, I think is a, is a very, very important uh, uh, place where we can understand a lot of the politics of the production of space. What would be the challenges that you see that we're facing now in terms of representing uh, space, representing geopolitics, representing also societies? I think now there is, uh, on one side, a lot of fascination towards visualizations because somehow the feeling that we live in, the, in this uh, world in which data are so easy to be produced and so, and so easy to be manipulated and calculated and, uh, and managed, uh, pushed towards uh, diffusion of, uh, of visualizations and uh, complex representations in the public media. So we get, we're getting more and more used to see uh, the language of uh, even like scientific representations into the, into, the, into the normal public discourse. At the same time, I think there is uh, a problem of uh, uh, fetishism towards this kind of representations that somehow we're attracted by these aesthetics not really taking a lot into account what they really tell and what they really can explain. So on one side, we, we are really uh, giving a lot of importance to visualization. On the other side, we're losing the legibility of the way in which we represent reality. Somehow your work is inhabiting a shift, a shift from maps to the GPS navigational systems. Uh, what is the way that you could relate to this moment of shift, of these evolutions, or this, uh, the implications that, that come with them? I think the fact that we moved from uh, a way of representing territory, which dealt a lot with scale, of course, like every map has a peculiar scale. And uh, when we think about scales, we, all, we also have to think that uh, different scales were produced by different agencies and different institutions with particular purposes. To GPS, which is a sort of to of a would say like one-to-one -one, uh, deployment uh, of an infrastructure of the territory, so a one-to-one -one abstraction of a system of a mathematical model that could allow us to position a piece of information everywhere over the surface of the globe, caused the, the fact that we cannot control. Uh, seems that there is like a, it seems that there is a system without uh, any any author. It seems like almost like a natural element uh, in, and not like an infrastructure that is the production of a, of a nation state, of a government, of an institution. One of the uh, things that strike me from your installations is that they very clearly illustrate and somehow provide evidences of uh, this Latourian concept that, or idea that laboratories are no longer happening in isolated rooms, but actually new forms of art, new forms of design are laboratorizing the, the world and we're moving to a worldwide lab basically in which experiments happen at the one-to-one -one scale of reality. Your work, for instance, Italian Limes, it's been very relevant and probably the most clear uh, example of how new artistic and I would say architectural practices are not that much isolating realities as models that could be replicated, but actually rendering the world critical through the inclusion of design technologies and the way they are making themselves visible. Could you tell me what's your, 
what, what's the way you relate to this Latourian concept, knowing as well that you've been close to Bruno Latour and, uh, for instance, to his research and exhibition, Reset Modernity? So I think what, what we really wanted to stress with the, with the Italian Limits project uh, in terms of the Latourian view of being able to regain a different view of a Gaia over the world uh, and somehow like, detaching from the bidimensional representation of the planet uh, and going back into the locals, so understanding what is the actual ecological process that are happening on the surface, uh, not just looking at the surface from afar, no? from this kind of zenithal view that is like the, the trademark of modernity, this ability of being able in the, 19th, in the 20th century to lift from the surface and be able to having like this abstract view of the land, is that uh, we should take uh, into account ecology and ecological processes into every form of, uh, let's say, social interactions and social determinations. So there is somehow the kind of uh, conceptual and legal framework where we live in is still rooted, of course, in like past century concepts and past century philosophy. And now somehow we, paradoxically, the tools that we we're using to sense and reproduce nature, they brought us beyond the threshold in which this nature becoming so important and so evident, even like not just in terms of its uh, reproduction, but also in terms of the time scale. The somehow now the time scale of our life is so much uh, in contiguity, like uh, contiguous with the time scale of many natural phenomena that somehow we're interacting with them. So even for example, the, uh, in Italian limits where we we really wanted to give this idea of the glaciers that they were more, more, was moving in real time, is this uh, attempt to being able to visualize something that always happened. I mean, glaciers always moved. Uh, they've never been still. But nowadays, since they're moving so fast, that they're, they're starting to interfere like with our life. So this, in, in, in the fact that they interfere, I think, is a very positive thing, because finally we're able to see that these... Uh, uh, ecological uh, domains, these ecological processes are very, very strongly embedded by our life. So we cannot treat them as uh, external objects. We have to interiorize them and use them to change the way in which we look at nature and, and, and look at also like uh, potential other views of the planet itself and not just our modern, modernity-driven technocratic view uh, over the, of the nature and planet, but also like other potential interpretations. Somehow, if we, if we compare your work with Le Corbusier's work, let's say, uh, we would see Le Corbusier looking at nature from above and transforming it from the airplane, uh, and, but then isolating it. So thinking that the project that he did for Brazil was uh, staying there in Brazil, whereas in your case, you could say that from your office in Milan or from Karlsruhe or from Venice, you are the Alps, we are the Alps. So somehow we are constituted by the kind of relationship that we keep with actors that are distant and are disputing and composing together a reality up there in the glaciers. These are two very significant shifts in the way we understand space, societies, architecture, technology, and politics. Uh, one, by looking at things from above, by very much isolating them in a geographical demarcation uh, with clear limits. The second one, yours, kind of looking at things in this kind of thick 
a small band of action that is on the surface of the wall of the glacier. So, but then recognizing it as very multiple, as happening in different locations, as participating by actors that Le Corbusier probably never, never identified. These two shifts, in my opinion, are very important in your practice, and there's so much that it's been discussed from your practice in regards to these two displacements. Can you, can you tell us a little bit more about them? I think that the, somehow our ability to being able to sense so precisely natural dynamics can be exploited to build this idea that somehow we can really interact with nature as a human level, like almost I would say like at the emotional level somehow. Even if our work is really rooted in aesthetics of preciseness and questioning accuracy, questioning the way which we measure things and the tools, somehow our attempt to bring the glaciers and the presence of the glaciers in an exhibition space uh, through a network of sensors uh, was attempting to, as you said, like bringing the Alps into the exhibition space, not just as a model, not just as a, a polished, uh, accurate, accurate uh, scale representation of, of the landscape uh, of, of an object, uh, but actually a performative uh, presence uh, of uh, uh, something that we can still identify with some borders or some uh, definitions, like a glacier itself, which also we can question the, if the glacier is actually an object or is something that nature exists or not, because it still like, comes from our way of organizing information that comes from the we'll say 19th century observation sciences. But still, like these glaciers uh, can perform something in the exhibition, so we can actually give voice to these elements. And I think giving voice to natural elements uh, or like giving natural elements a presence in the legislations. For example, this is happening nowadays in a few, in a few countries in which rivers or forests are gaining uh, the rights as people. I think it's incredibly fascinating and it's incredibly important uh, because somehow it's uh, our way of, of dealing with nature, but somehow in starting to deal with it in a different ways. So I think we're very, humans are very stubborn not to change the legal framework, not to change like, the way in which they were used to organize uh, the world for themselves, but somehow they're starting to incorporate into this framework also natural objects, which I think is, is very, very important. Let's talk about accuracy and detail, because for a long time in architecture, in architectural and design practices, when someone wanted to enhance a position in regards to something, could go into more detail, into more accuracy. The way you talk of accuracy is very different. It's about gaining other voices, enrolling other voices in the description or the mobilization of a certain reality or the way we relate to it. These are very different notions of accuracy. When you talk also about resolution, you often claim that uh, a total resolution or a high resolution often hides a big part of reality. And you even work with means, technological means, that for other people were considered obsolete, but that they gain you the opportunity to bring voices that otherwise could be lost in the excess of information. How the discussion of accuracy versus the discussion of enrollment of other voices is being played in a key role in your practice? So I think accuracy, we're used to think accuracy as a, as a linear, linear gradient. That somehow like we, we are constantly moving from a state of being less accurate to a state of being more accurate. Because of course the tools we use becomes better, more precise, more refined. Also our understanding of the model 
that we use to make sense of the world become more sophisticated. But, but with many other things related to technology, accuracy is um, depending on purpose. So the way in which we can be accurate uh, uh, by dealing with something, by observing something, can be very different depending on the purpose why we're doing the observation, on the purpose why we're doing a certain kind of uh, representation of, uh, of what we observe. So in terms of like uh, linear accuracy, I always question this. So I always try to construct paradoxical views in which uh, the, um, this kind of ghost of accuracy gets in trouble somehow. Uh, on the other side, I think we can, we can be instead uh, more and more accurate uh, in uh, building connections uh, and extending the context of the problem we deal with. So I think there is, there is actually a, a linear gradient of accuracy that we can achieve and we should achieve in being able to deal with the complexity more and more. And when I say deal with the complexity, I don't, I don't, I don't mean accumulate more data about something, but accumulate more insight in understanding uh, when uh, dealing with issues, we always have to take into account the multiple views. So this, for me, like is a is an accurate uh, behavior. And of course, when we when we think about the spatial environment, uh, spatial environment uh, has been built by many different people over history. But also, like it's something when you when you uh, modify it, uh, is there for everyone. So I think like when you intervene on the territory, is like mandatory to be complex in the way in which we deal with potential different views of other people that will transform that territory different than yourself. You're dealing with borders and you're dealing with technological jurisdictions and zones uh, in works like uh, Uncharted or Italian Limits that we've been discussing. But the way you talk about these jurisdictions and these borders is very different to the one that is discussed openly by presidents or by uh, the European Union. Or When we see the difference, there's a number of categories, uh, insights that you're bringing for, from your own insight and uh, disciplines into a political discussion. Somehow, from your work, there's, uh, uh, it's clear that there's certain political dimension uh, that comes from design, that comes from uh, visualization, that comes from critical studies, that is different to the uh, general politics that are conveyed by spoken debates in, in newspapers. What do you think is the specificity of the notions of politics that you deal with? For instance, when it comes to discuss borders or when it comes to discuss uh, geographies. So I think like borders uh, is of course like at the center of the political discussion since a few years more and more now. And um, I think design and architecture should take a, a very precise role in trying to demolish the idea, the idea of borders uh, in its entirety. Of course, borders, from like a philosophical point of view, for example, for a scientific point of view, has been something that has been opposed and criticized since the many decades now. The idea that somehow political borders doesn't make any sense when you study like global phenomena in nature, or when you because of course nature doesn't really have to have anything to do with borders. But I think what we tried to do with the Italian Limits project was to demolish the notion, the, the notion of border from a design perspective. So as a design object, uh, the border is something that is completely uh, absurd. Because the more you try to define it, the more you realize like, it's impossible to, to find like, uh, a meaningful relationship with uh, uh, the abstraction of a border as a line, as, like, as a geometrical object, as a geometrical device. Uh, and then it's uh, 
inevitable connection with something that changes all the time, which is the territory. So I think like uh, by really criticizing the fundamental qualities, the fundamental mathematical qualities of a border as a design object, uh, we can try to demonstrate how absurd it is and somehow making evident that it's, uh, it's just a political decision. So like every political decision can be changed uh, basically overnight because there's no, there's no real impediment to it. So since, again, borders are something that has to do with the, with the built space because the border have a manifestation, a physical manifestation on the territory, but also like they're eminently representational because the, the actual border is also a line, a set of coordinates, something that is uh, described uh, in papers and drawings. I think architecture and design has a big role in trying to somehow operate a shift in the, in the global consciousness about uh, the complete uh, obs- obsolescence of these, uh, of these tools that, that belong to a very uh, short period of human time and something that is now really old. You mentioned today in the lecture that you gave here at GSAP that it's important or that your choice was to, to use the, the means and the tools of architecture and focus them to deal with relevant issues. Can you tell us a little bit of the agenda of your practice and how do you pursue relevance? I, I don't want to, to sound like uh, dogmatic to it because I think like there are many, many things that are rele- relevant and uh, in particular like uh, every practitioner and every, every person dealing with, uh, with an interest in, like, can evaluate himself what is relevant. Uh, so I, 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 wouldn't, I don't want to, to like, define borders within these, uh, these notions of rele- relevance. Uh, but for our practice, I think uh, we think that climate change is, of course, like something that is really relevant and is astonishingly out of the political debates uh, of, uh, like, obviously, like the global discussions, but also like of the main states, the main nation states that uh, caused climate change in the first place, and then uh, and now are not uh, are trying not to deal with it. Uh, also, because I think the rhetoric of the climate change has been too much global. That somehow, like the climate change has been caused by humankind. Uh, which is actually not true. Climate change has been caused by specific uh, decisions, specific dynamics, and specific, a specific, very specific part of the humankind. So like nation states, corporations, and specific subjects uh, that have to be named, I think. So unfolding these dynamics, uh, which are still totally at play, I think is very important in order to understand how to deal with this problem. So it's not about... Uh, global policies, it's about like specific policies, specific parts of the world. Uh, on the other hand, uh, we're very much interested in, uh, I would say like in the topic of visual language. So understanding how uh, the metaphors and the tropes uh, of uh, representations, uh, both like in scientific representations, but also like um, in general representation of space, uh, plays like a huge role in uh, defining, uh, determining the way in which we think about the world itself. So how we can deconstruct language over the time, like reverse engineering language in order to understand uh, the kind of model we need to overcome in order to deal with, like, com- with today's problem, with contemporary problems. So like keeping an eye of, uh, on the tricks and the games that like, visual language uh, plays on us uh, and that like, drives us to certain representation of the world because we were just used to them. In that respect, your work is different to other practices that are happening now in the way that they don't only present evidences, but they also show how the making of evidence is subjected also to constructions, to arbitrarities, to accidents, and also to uh, alternatives. 
This is something that is clear not only in the way you deliver your projects, but also in the way you explain them and discuss them by showing the, the background or, or the backhouse of how they were made. Why this is important now? Why the how uh, is as important as the what in your work? Because, I, again, like I think like dealing a lot with the, um, with the deconstruction of language, I think also we should uh, open up the way in which we do our practice and to generate debate and to show, to, to, to keep it like uh, open to influence from other practitioners, even from the field of the de design or from other, other fields. So being like uh, very, very open in terms of the, the process that we follow in our projects, uh, I think is, uh, is crucial for achieving this uh, Uh, this level of debate with uh, with other people interested in the same fields. And also, I think it's like inner, inherent in the in our in the hybrid hybrid configuration of our work. Somehow, our own practice uh, is very difficult to define what we do because uh, every project has a new way of structuring the workflow of, of, of things that we do, uh, and we deal with with lots of different uh, tools uh, and domains and out outcomes as well. So we kind of like to to bridge between different modes of operating. Then I think in general our practice is, uh, is quite rooted in, uh, in an environment of other artists, uh, designers and architects uh, that deal with like, similar methods and projects. So I think that nowadays there's like, a, a growing community of, uh, of people that we, we have to thank also because they are a constant source of inspiration for our work. Why you question Zoom and what is the way you deal with scaling up, scaling down or connecting realities that are happening at different scales? Because I think scale is one of the fundamental uh, way of uh, understanding our agendas, understanding the role we can have in an environment, and also thinking about uh, the, way, yeah, the way in which we can intervene in space in general. When I say scale, of course, I, I think about spatial scale, but also I think we struggle a lot more to understand like time scale, because it's something that doesn't, have, uh, doesn't seem to have a visible dimension. Lots of what, what's happening in the world is very distant from us, uh, uh, not just because it's, like it's bigger or smaller than, one, than our human scale, but also because it operates on a time scale that is completely underst not understandable from, uh, by us. So I think like the, we would really like to engage with uh, some project that is able to visualize uh, the way in which much of the process that we are uh, surrounded by operates at different time scales. Somehow the, the, the Italian Limes project with the, emphasizes the way in which, uh, again, like uh, something like the movement of a glacier, which before the rapid uh, change that uh, global warming uh, brought to the, to the Alps, uh, now became visible. So we wanted to stress the idea that somehow, just because we could see, we could measure that movement, and then this becomes a problem. And then, of course, like in terms of spatial scale, it's really crucial to understand it, because when we think about uh, representations, we always have to situate uh, a representation in, in, uh, in the scale we want to observe it because like depending on the scale uh, we need to edit down the information depending what we can actually reproduce and what we cannot so there is I would say that it doesn't even exist a one-to-one -one scale because we always have a, a, an image of, a, of the thing we want to observe in a configuration in an arrangement which always will filter out elements depending on the, on the scale of our intervention one final question you pay a great deal of attention to aesthetics. Aesthetics are not something that is style-oriented, I would say, in your practice, but is very much a tool to sense or to convene whole context. What is the way that you work 
with aesthetics and what is the way you develop the aesthetical uh, dimension of your works? I think our main concern with the aesthetics, uh, which I, by aesthetics I mean like the, the way in which uh, we kind of symbolize uh, or like it was like the semiotic of the, the graphical elements that we use, has uh, a lot to deal with discourse around the topics of measurements and accuracy. That's how we, we are really obsessed with the uh, the accuracy of, uh, of the information that we want to represent. And by accuracy, again, I mean uh, not just the precisions, but like the, the accountability of information. That somehow we always wanted to, want to uh, give account of, the, of where we took the information, which kind of uh, uh, steps in the process of manipulation and articulation of this information we, we gave, uh, we, we did. And then we try to present it like in a more open way. So, for example, in our installations, we try to always give different levels of interpretations or readings. So being able to give to the visitor the possibility to have like a very first overview of the problem and still like keeping and uh, uh, taking from this like a broad understanding of our themes, but then also providing more and more detailed uh, ways of reading the contents. So I think the aesthetics has to express uh, uh, this idea of synthetical, like a very clear first idea of what we're dealing about, uh, maybe with the, with the design of the installation, with the graphic design. So, and then being able to give access very quickly and very openly to the insight of the research. So trying also to deal, I would say, like with scale, also with the way in which we deal to the, to the design of exhibitions or, or books. Thank you very much, Marco. It's been a pleasure to have you here today in GSAP. Thank you. This podcast was produced by Columbia GSAP. You can find more information about the school on our website at arc.columbia.edu.